The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And I am delighted today to welcome back one of my favorite guests, Dr. Todd Cooperman. He is a researcher, writer, and commentator on consumer healthcare issues. He is also the president and founder of ConsumerLab.com, as well as PharmacyChecker.com. He recognized the lack of quality standards and oversight in the U.S. dietary supplement industry way back in the 90s, and he therefore founded ConsumerLab.com in 1999, along with FDA scientist Dr. William Obermeyer. ConsumerLab.com is now celebrating 20 years and has become the leading independent evaluator of dietary supplements, publishing reports for consumers and health professionals at www.consumerlab.com. And anyone who knows me knows that I share that website often because there are an increasing number of products on the market, sometimes with questionable regulation. Now, Dr. Cooperman has been called as an expert witness by committees of both the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate to give testimony regarding the quality and regulation of dietary supplements, so we have the best person with us to do these assessments. Dr. Cooperman also received his medical degree from Boston University School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Cooperman. It's so good to have you back. Thank you, Melinda. It's always a pleasure to, to talk with you, and thanks for that nice introduction. Oh, you're so welcome. You do a tremendous service, because I know that when I go into one of my favorite supermarkets, while there's food on one half, there is an equal amount of dietary supplement choices in the other half. And even with a master's in nutrition, I find myself being overwhelmed, and I know from experience that these are not regulated the way foods are. So it's sort of a consumer beware marketplace. One of the things that I really like is that you can subscribe as a member. I believe it's $42 a year. Is that correct? That's right. But before you want to take that dive, you can also receive a newsletter and you can receive little bits of information for free. So I encourage everyone to go to the website, take a look at some of the issues. You recently sent out an email going over some of the top research reviews that you did for 2018, and you also took a look in terms of what's coming up in 2019. And I think that we spoke a little bit about what kinds of issues we want to talk about, but clearly the number one topic, I think, on the minds of many consumers today is CBD oil. And I thought maybe we could take a deeper dive into that. Is that okay? Yeah, sure, sure. So do you want to start by just explaining some of the differences? I know you've got a great little video on your website that goes over some of the different products that are on the market. You differentiate between hemp oil and CBD oil. When I go into the marketplace, what am I going to find and what am I looking for? Right, so... <laughs> Basically, CBD comes from the hemp plant, which is the same as the marijuana plant. They're just kind of different. Uh, the marijuana is a different strain of hemp. The CBD itself doesn't come from 
the seeds, which is where you get hemp oil. It comes from the rest of the plant. So there's a lot of confusion out there. You know, people talk about CBD oil, and some people say hemp oil. But hemp oil will contain no CBD. So hemp oil is kind of like, like flaxseed oil and these you know, other oils that are out there that provide various types of fatty acids, which are fine, but it's not going to provide uh, CBD. So if you're looking, first of all, to pick a CBD product, don't count a CBD, uh, you know, a hemp oil product to provide CBD, although they're often using hemp oil as a base in which they're adding CBD that's been extracted from the rest of the hemp plant. Mm-hmm. And so what you want to look for on a label is e- either a specific amount of CBD or it might say hemp extract, which is different from hemp oil. So I would look for either of those terms. Some companies are not using the word CBD on their labels intentionally to avoid scrutiny by the FDA because technically, legally, on a federal level, CBD is not considered a dietary supplement. And if a company is referring to the amount of CBD in a supplement, it's really an illegal supplement. It's not a dietary supplement. Even though they are being widely sold, they're being sold as supplements. If you look at the back panel on most products, it'll have a supplement facts panel, right. which is different from, say, like a nutrition facts panel you'd see on a food. So they're actually being marketed as supplements, even though the federal government says that they, they shouldn't be. Nevertheless, they are being widely purchased, widely used. And as you mentioned, I think Consumer Lab, we went out and purchased a variety of popular CBD products and tested them to really see how much CBD is in them. And some of them, I call them CBD products. Some of them don't actually mention the actual amount. For example, a very popular brand like Charlotte's Web, which is one of the, the older brands out there, doesn't actually say CBD, I think, anywhere on the product. Hmm. So you won't always see CBD actually mentioned on, on the label. Mm-hmm. It's a little a little background. We can talk a lot more. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, and I also want to raise the issue of, I know when I go in and look at these products, I'm overwhelmed by the choices. And as you mentioned, you know, you can pay 80 cents per 10 milligrams of CBD, or you can spend up to $4.54 for 10 milligrams of CBD. So I think from a consumer advocacy perspective, we need to know what we're getting for our money are these products regulated and what are the best buys? And that's why I love consumerlab.com. So let's jump back and just talk a little bit about what CBD has been shown in the research to do. Why would I want to take this product? Right. So CBD was approved as a drug last year for the first time by the FDA as a prescription medication for treating a couple of very severe forms of epilepsy for people who continue to have seizures with normal anticonvulsants, they found that CBD was actually able to help them significantly reduce the number of seizures they were having. However, it's important to keep in mind that um, although it's the same CBD that you'll get you know, in a CBD supplement, the amount of CBD that is taken as a drug is typically about 500 to 1,000 milligrams of CBD daily. The amount of CBD you'll find in most supplements, and again, I'm using that term loosely because they're not really legally supplements, right. is anywhere, in our testing, we discovered anywhere as little as 2 milligrams to up to about 22 milligrams per a suggested daily dose, which is typically you know one or, or more of the pills or 
drops of oil, etc. So you're talking about about 100 times more CBD that people are taking as a drug than as they're, they're taking as a supplement. And at these very low doses that are sold as supplements, even though people are raving about it, and we hear it from our readers all the time, you know, and they're using it for pain, both orally and they're applying it topically for pain, anxiety. Those are the two main uses as a supplement. There are a host of other things that people are saying it works for, Parkinson's. There's really no credible evidence at this point that it actually is effective at those doses, though I wouldn't say it's not effective because you you do hear people, you hear so many people saying that they're getting some type of benefit from it. And there was a very interesting article that came out oh, maybe two, three months ago, where they began to show what is it about CBD as well as THC that seems to help with pain. And it, it appears that it doesn't reduce pain, but it, it reduces your focus on the pain. Mm. And that's, again, it's funny, that's what you do hear from people. They'll say like, yeah, I'm still kind of feeling the pain, but it's just not bothering me as much. Interesting. Um, yeah, so I was on with Sanjay Gupta from CNN, who's done a, you know, he's, he's really been very much involved with CBD. And right. for years, I was on a show with him on, on the Dr. Oz show. We were both talking about it. He was talking about the therapeutic. I was talking about what we found in the products. And he also, I know he very much believes there is a fact and there, and there are CBD receptors in all parts of your body. So I think there's, it's something very real. I think people are, uh, like any supplement though, they are <laughs> believing it can do a lot more than it probably can. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can never discount the role of the placebo effect. But I always feel like if somebody is going to spend hard-earned money, they should know what they're getting. They should know the benefits and the risks, what the studies show, and what products might be more beneficial than others. So for the doses that we have good, solid research showing, yeah, this is going to be beneficial, say, for epileptic seizures – can we get a prescription for that level of CBD oil with a prescription only in states that have approved medical marijuana? No, that's a drug that's approved as a drug anywhere in the United States. Okay, well, that's good to know. Yeah, that's a real drug like any other medication you'd get at a pharmacy. Okay, this is good because you hear about people saying, well, my child has epilepsy, I'm going to move to Colorado, for example. Right, right. They don't have to do that anymore, right? Yeah, this is great. Well, the other thing that I'm really interested in is the fact that the FDA is the organization, the government agency that oversees these products, and it's got a dietary supplement label on it, but it's not a dietary supplement. Right, because it's, it's the manufacturer who puts that label on. They could, they can put on what whatever they want to put on. It doesn't mean that it's legal. <laughs> right. Uh, this is the issue with dietary supplements that I really hope that most consumers understand is that the regulation is just not the same as if you buy a food product. Right. And you'll find that the major supplement companies that are out there, the vitamin stores that are out there, they are not carrying CBD at this point. You'll find it certainly all over the web from companies selling it directly. Right. Um, and, and, so, and some others who are, sell, you know, kind of it, but aside from like certain types of shops, you know, that are out there, and there's certainly, you know, thousands of them out there, you won't find it in a conventional vitamin store because it's, it's just not legal really as a supplement at, the, at this point. Exactly. Do you want to share 
the results that you found in your research showing which products are the best for the money? I'd rather not get into the brands. Okay. Um, certainly, it, it is all on the website. It's on the website. But, okay. Yeah, the general findings are kind of, as I said before, about a tenfold difference in the strength of these uh, amount of CBD you're going to get per serving. So if it doesn't actually say an amount, you really don't know what you're going to get. And some other kind of buzzwords to watch out for is CBD is cannabidiol. If it says cannabinoids, that could be CBD or one of many other types of compounds that may or may not have any activity. So you really want to look for cannabidiol as opposed to cannabinoids. You might also see phytocannabinoids. That's another kind of general term. Uh, but it's really the cannabidiol that is the CBD, and that's, that's the word you want to look for on these products. A question I have is if the label says that it contains cannabidiol and it says that there are, say, 10 milligrams, can we trust the amount that's on the label? Who's testing and double-checking? Right. You can't just trust that information, which is why we're, we're testing. I think in the majority of cases where they actually did make this state an amount, which most products don't. Right. <laughs> I think most were correct. Okay. That's my recollection. But ma- many won't say it, state it, and, and they're not always going to be correct. Right. And, uh, you know, just one other thing I, I wanted to mention, we, we've had a couple of people ask us, can taking these cause you to fail a drug test? Oh, good um, question. Which is based on not CBD, but the drug tests are looking for THC. Right. Which is the psychoactive component of marijuana. So these products, if they are truly, you know, extracts from hemp, they will contain a small amount of THC. Among the products that we tested, none of these are likely to cause you to to, to be positive on a drug test. However, it can happen. So if someone is going for for a job application, applying for a job, I would stay off the CBD for a couple of weeks. It has a fairly long, like, half-life. And basically, I think the products that we tested had... To pass our test, they had to have less than 0.2 milligrams of THC for daily serving. Mm -hmm. Again, the amount of CBD was anywhere from 2 to 22 milligrams. So this is a very small amount of THC. But there have been a couple of small studies that have shown that if you have more than like 0.4, 0.6 milligrams of THC in a day, there's about a 10% chance that you will fail a drug test. And I heard of a situation just recently of a man who failed the drug test. He had taken a CBD product. It was a, a higher dose. He was saying about 25 milligrams of CBD. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you ran the numbers, I think it, it turned out he was probably taking at least one milligram of THC a day. So there was a good chance that he was going to fail a test. Right. Well, all right, let me take one break. We're halfway through. I want to remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are joined by Dr. Todd Cooperman. He is the president and founder of ConsumerLab.com, celebrating 20 years in analyzing quality standards of dietary supplements on the market. Well, I know we could fill our whole time with CBD, and I do have some more questions because one of the points that you make in your summary statement is that Similar to other supplements that we take, many CBD products on the market are going to be better absorbed if we either take it with a meal or shortly after a fatty meal. Do you want to add anything more about best timing and of when to take CBD? Yeah, that's a great point. I'm glad that you you mentioned that. 
it is a fat-soluble compound, and you should definitely take it with food or shortly after eating food that has the highest fat content of what you're eating that day, which means it could, you know, it could be oils, you know, olive oil or other fats in your food. And it's, it's not really the fat itself that helps you absorb it. It's when you eat fatty foods, and then I'm not talking about a lamb chop, you know, right. but anything that has fats and a good amount of fats or oils in it, it will stimulate bile production, and you need that bile to basically absorb the CBD. It, it kind of breaks things down into these micelles, you know, and so you can, as you know it, and so you can absorb things better. That same rule goes with all the other fat-soluble vitamins, including things like CoQ10, which is also fat-soluble. So very important because CBD itself is really poorly absorbed unless you're taking it with food. Oh, that's uh, so really it will, interesting. It will greatly increase your, your absorption. Yeah. Now, as much as we talk about the benefits of CBD, should we know if there are any contraindications or any side effects? Sure. It's actually pretty safe, CBD. The types of side effects that have been reported, some people get a little nauseous. People sometimes get a kind of a dry mouth, a cottony mouth feeling from it. I'm just trying to jog my memory. Does it uh, increase appetite? I don't believe it increases appetite. Okay. I know, obviously, at least for marijuana, you know, there's an increased appetite. Right. I don't think that's a side effect of okay. CBD. Okay. Good to know. Well, I can't recommend the site enough. Again, it's www.consumerlab.com. You've got a great short video also that shows all of the different products on the market. There was another point you made in the video about nano... Here's a label. Maybe you can help me understand. Nano-enhanced... What does um, that mean? It's a claim that they're saying that the product is somehow put into smaller units so they can absorb it better. Yeah. Uh, that's what they're trying to say with nano-enhanced. Right. There are ways of making ingredients more absorbable. You can do that with polysorbate. You can do that with other things that made it more, more soluble in water. Yeah. However, you know, and, and this goes again for all types of supplements, you know, you, you'll pay a lot more for these kind of more bioavailable, better absorbed uh, versions of, of fat-soluble vitamins and, and other compounds. But if you take it with food, or <laughs> like, like we just talked right. about, it will probably do the same thing, if not more. And it's interesting when they do these studies, when the, you're comparing these special formulations, they're intentionally doing it with people who have not eaten. They've often fasted the night before to give kind of the best advantage to the special formulation versus the non uh, formulated. Sure. And, you know, you see this with the different turmeric, curcumin supplements, which are super popular now as anti-inflammatories. And and there is some some evidence for curcumin, and it's fairly safe. But if you just take, again take it with the meal that has the most fats or oils in it per day, you'll get all the benefits and more of a bioenhanced version. Right. And I do want to just put a red flag up for polysorbate eighty. I was recently at my dietetic association meeting, and there was a woman who was talking about some of these emulsifiers and products, polysorbate 80 and carboxymethylcellulose. I would avoid those two ingredients because of the effects that they could be having on some of the gut microbiota, and specifically the mucosal lining of the gut. So I like your advice to simply take it with food if it's a fat-soluble product, as CBD is and others, then we want to make sure that we're having some fat in our diet to better absorb it. 
So you don't have to buy all the extra ingredients in order to get the benefits. Right, right. Good point. And just for the listeners, other, other ones that are fat-soluble, vitamin D, vitamin K, vitamin A. Um, and vitamin E. And vitamin E. Right. right. And there we have it. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about some of the other product reviews that you've done that certainly were popular in 2018 and continue to be popular in the new year. And one of them has to do with bone broth. And, you know, I was trained in the College of Home Economics. I know how to make broth. (laughs) I know how to take a carcass and boil it for an hour, let it simmer, extract all those nutrients. But there seems to be a plethora of bone broth products as well as claims for benefits. Do you want to say anything about bone broth? Are we getting some magical ingredient or can we just make our own if we boil the carcass from our whole chicken? Right. So what distinguishes bone broth from broth or consomme or whatever is the protein and specifically the collagen that you get from bone marrow. So that's kind of the the magic, you know, special ingredient that you get in bone broth is you're getting collagen. And that's why when we tested the bone broth, we looked at the amounts of collagen and protein as well, which is the, you know, the larger family that collagen falls into in these products. So there really is no magic to bone broth itself. There, you know, protein obviously is an essential nutrient. (laughs) So you are going to get protein from bone broth that you're not going to get from, you know, other types of soups, et cetera. But you don't have to get your, you know, your, your protein and collagen from bone broth. And there are no good studies with bone broth showing any, real, any benefits. There are plenty of studies being done with collagen, you know, protein. And collagen is people take collagen for joint pain. It may modestly improve skin elasticity, uh, reduce wrinkles. You may already be getting it from other foods that you consume. So... You know, that's kind of the story on bone broth. If you are going to buy one, they can be expensive. We found that you could spend anywhere from $0.56 up to $10 to get about 5 grams of collagen from bone broth. Wow. So we point out which ones were least expensive. They tend to be the chicken-based ones as opposed to the beef. Right. Um, So... Well, one of the concerns that I've had with regard to bones is that Bones tend to be the place where we might find some some contaminants being stored. For example, lead. Have you found in your reviews of bone broth that you have discovered that some might be higher in contaminants? The good news is we did a test for heavy metals, including mm-hmm. lead. We did not find any problems. Great. Okay. So if we, we were concerned about the same thing. Good. The lead does accumulate in the bones. So if I want to more inexpensively get the benefits of collagen, I can buy a whole chicken, take those bones, and I'm assuming the longer that I simmer them in hot water, the more collagen I'm going to extract from the bone. Yes, I believe, let's see, uh, I forget how long like they recom- uh, you know, like the recommended time is. You know, I wouldn't go, I, I, you know, at some point, you know, proteins denature. I, I just forget what, what the best way to make bone broth is, if, if, if I even knew in the first place. Okay. Uh, since we focused more on the testing it. But you, these are really, you know, they are made the same way you'd make it at home. Um, right. 
I'm just trying to save our listeners some hard-earned dollars to get the same benefits. So that's the beauty of your reports, is that you really help people make wise decisions. I'm going to pick one more item that was hot in 2018. I know it continues to be advocated, and that is apple cider vinegar. We just have a few minutes left, so can you pull out some highlights from your data gathering? What do we need to know about apple cider vinegar? Yeah, so it, it may help modestly with weight loss. It may just be the acetic acid. It may be that any kind of vinegar may help a little bit. It may be that it's simply just irritating your stomach and you don't want to eat. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not clear why. There is some evidence that, that it may help with weight loss. Basically, people are taking uh, about a, a teaspoon of apple cider vinegar, putting it in, a, in warm water, say about a, about a cup of water, and, and you drink that pretty quickly because otherwise it could hurt the enamel on your teeth. That's how it's used. We tested uh, a number of different apple cider vinegars, some the more cloudy that has the, the mother, they call it, floating mm-hmm. in it, kind of this stringy mass that's in there, um, others that were clear. I don't think it makes a difference, really. Uh, they both have the acetic acid. The products that we tested, they all seem fine. You could get a tablespoon for as little as about $0.03, cents, or you could spend up to about $0.17. Cents. You know, not a huge expense either way, uh, but you can save some money if you want to you know, do that. We also tested um, some apple cider vinegar supplements, pills. Mm. I would not recommend those because we did come across one that had a very high concentration of acetic acid. And in fact, if it was a consumer product, like a drain cleaner, it would have to have a warning label on it indicating that it could, you know, it could burn your skin or your throat, et cetera. So I have a concern about that. Yes. <laughs> about people taking because some people have trouble swallowing. A pill gets stuck in your throat, and there is a there was a case of a, this where this happened to a woman who swallowed a apple cider vinegar pill, and it did get stuck, and it did it did um, basically burn her esophagus. Oh my! Um, and I think you know, like took about more than six months uh, for it to heal. Um, wow. So if you're going to do it, I would stick to the liquids. Um, yeah, you can look at our report, and we looked at the amounts of acetic acid, which were all about five percent in these uh, in the liquids that are out there. We have seen apple cider vinegar recommended before people eat to help reduce reflux. Have you seen data on that? I don't recall. I, I think I've read that it may help reduce blood sugar, uh, the increase yes. in blood sugar uh, yes. after eating. Mm-hmm. Um, although it's not recommended, you know, that diabetics rely on it for that purpose. Of course. I'm not sure about the reflux. Okay. Well, we are out of time, but I just have to go through the list of products that you have reviewed lately that I think are really important. You looked at green tea. You have found lead in some of the matcha teas, which I think is important. Actually, I should just correct you. We have the matchas, which come from Japan. We have not found lead. Great. We have found lead in some of the other teas, although it stays in the tea bag. <laughs> oh. Which is a good thing. So, if you were to eat regular tea as opposed to matcha, you would be getting some lead. But fortunately, you know, use a tea ball. Use a. It stays with the leaf, basically. If you're eating the leaf, you'll get the lead. But matcha teas are made from typically from Japan, and it, it they, they don't have the lead. Okay. Excellent. So. Go to www.consumerlab.com. You will find all of this and so much more as we enter the new year. Save your money, help your health, 
and purchase products that really have been proven to be effective. So in closing, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. And most of all, I want to thank one of my favorite guests, Dr. Todd Cooperman, medical doctor, researcher, writer, and commentator on consumer health care issues, president and founder of ConsumerLab.com, who will review quality standards and oversight of dietary supplements. Thank you so much for being my guest. Thanks, Melinda. 